0: Book One, Chapter Four, Part One, of Volume One of A Voyage Towards the South Pole. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cole A Voyage Towards the South Pole and Round the World. Volume One by James Cook, Book One, Chapter Four, Part One. Transactions in Dusky Bay, with an account of several interviews with the inhabitants. 1773 March. As I did not like the place we were anchored in, I sent Lieutenant Pickersgill over to the southeast side of the bay to search for a better and I went myself to the other side for the same purpose, where I met with an exceedingly snug harbour, but nothing else worthy of note. Mr. Pickersgill reported, upon his return, that he had found a good harbour with every conveniency. As I liked the situation of this better than the other of my own finding, I determined to go there in the morning. The fishing-boat was very successful, returning with fish sufficient for all hands for supper, and, in a few hours in the morning, caught as many as served for dinner. This gave us certain hopes of being plentifully supplied with this article, nor did the shores and woods appear less destitute of wild fowl, so that we hoped to enjoy with ease what in our situation might be called the luxuries of life. This determined me to stay for some time in this bay, in order to examine it thoroughly, as no one had ever landed before on any of the southern parts of this country. On the twenty-seventh at nine o'clock in the morning we got under sail with a light breeze at south-west, and, working over to Pickersgill Harbour, entered it by a channel scarcely twice the width of the ship, and in a small creek moored head and stern, so near the shore as to reach it with a brow or stage, which nature had in the manner prepared for us in a large tree, whose end or top reached our gunwale. Wood, for fuel and other purposes, was here so convenient, that our yards were locked in the branches of the trees, and about one hundred yards from our stern was a fine stream of fresh water." Thus situated we began to clear places in the woods, in order to set up the astronomer's observatory, the forge to repair our iron-work, tents for the sailmakers and coopers to repair the sails and casks in, to land our empty casks to fill water and to cut down wood for fuel, all of which were absolutely necessary occupations. We also began to brew beer from the branches or leaves of a tree— which much resembles the American black spruce. From the knowledge I had of this tree, and the similarity it bore to the spruce, I judged that, with the addition of inspissated juice of wort and molasses, it would make a very wholesome beer, and supply the want of vegetables which this place did not afford, and the event proved that I was not mistaken. Now I have mentioned the inspissated juice of wort, It will not be amiss in this place to inform the reader that I had made several trials of it since I left the Cape of Good Hope, and found it to answer in a cold climate beyond all expectation. The juice, diluted in warm water, in the proportion of twelve parts water to one part juice, made a very good and well-tasted small beer. Some juice which I had of Mr. Pelham's own preparing would bear sixteen parts water. By making use of warm water, which I think always ought to be done, and keeping it in a warm place if the weather be cold, no difficulty will be found in fermenting it. A little grounds of either small or strong beer will answer as well as yeast. The few sheep and goats we had left were not likely to fare quite so well as ourselves, there being no grass here, but what was coarse and harsh. It was, however, not so bad, but that we expected they would devour it with great greediness, and were the more surprised to find that they would not taste it, nor did they seem over-fond of the leaves of more tender plants. Upon examination we found their teeth loose, and that many of them had every other symptom of an inveterate sea scurvy, Out of four ewes and two rams which I brought from the Cape, with an intent to put ashore in this country, I had only been able to preserve one of each, and even these were in so bad a state that it was doubtful if they could recover, notwithstanding all the care possible had been taken of them. Some of the officers on the 28th went up the bay in a small boat on a shooting-party, But discovering inhabitants, they returned before noon to acquaint me therewith, for hitherto we had not seen the least vestige of any. They had but just got aboard, when a canoe appeared off a point about a mile from us, and soon after returned behind the point out of sight, probably owing to a shower of rain which then fell, for it was no sooner over than the canoe again appeared, and came within musket-shot of the ship. There were in it seven or eight people. They remained looking at us for some time, and then returned. All the signs of friendship we could make did not prevail on them to come nearer. After dinner I took two boats and went in search of them, in the cove where they were first seen, accompanied by several of the officers and gentlemen. We found the canoe, at least a canoe, hauled up on the shore near to two small huts, where were several fireplaces, some fishing-nets, a few fish lying on the shore, and some in the canoe. But we saw no people, they probably had retired into the woods. After a short stay and leaving in the canoe some medals, looking-glasses, beads, etc., we embarked and rowed to the head of the cove, where we found nothing remarkable. In turning back we put ashore at the same place as before, but still saw no people. However, they could not be far off, as we smelled the smoke of fire, though we did not see it. But I did not care to search further, or to force an interview which they seemed to avoid, well knowing that the way to obtain this was to leave the time and place to themselves. It did not appear that anything I had left had been touched. However, I now added a hatchet, and with the night returned on board. On the twenty-ninth were showers till the afternoon, when a party of the officers made an excursion up the bay, and Mr. Forster and his party were out botanizing. Both parties returned in the evening without meeting with anything worthy of notice, and the two following days every one was confined to the ship on account of rainy stormy weather. 1773 April In the afternoon of the first of April, accompanied by several of the gentlemen, I went to see if any of the articles I had left for the Indians were taken away. We found everything remaining in the canoe, nor did it appear that anybody had been there since. After shooting some birds, one of which was a duck, with a blue-grey plumage and soft bill, we in the evening returned on board. The second being a pleasant morning, Lieutenants Clerk and Edgecombe, and the two Mr. Forsters, went in a boat up the bay to search for the productions of nature, and myself, Lieutenant Pickersgill, and Mr. Hodges, went to take a view of the north-west side. In our way, we touched at the Seal Rock and killed three seals, one of which afforded us much sport. After passing several isles, we at length came to the most northern and western arms of the bay the same as is formed by the land of Five Fingers Point. In the bottom of this arm or cove we found many ducks, wood-hens, and other wild-fowl, some of which we killed and returned on board at ten o'clock in the evening, where the other party had arrived several hours before us, after having had but indifferent sport. They took with them a black dog we had got at the Cape, who at the first musket they fired— ran into the woods from whence he would not return. The three following days were rainy, so that no excursions were made. Early in the morning on the 6th a shooting-party, made up of the officers, went to Goose Cove, the place where I was on the 2nd, and myself, accompanied by the two Mr. Forsters and Mr. Hodges, set out to continue the survey of the bay. My attention was directed to the north side, where I discovered a fine capacious cove, in the bottom of which is a fresh water river, on the west side several beautiful small cascades, and the shores are so steep that a ship might lie near enough to convey the water into her by a hose. In this cove we shot fourteen ducks besides other birds, which occasioned my calling it Duck Cove, as we returned in the evening we had a short interview with three of the natives one man and two women they were the first that discovered themselves on the northeast point of indian Island, named so on this occasion we should have passed without seeing them had not the man hallooed to us he stood with his club in his hand upon the point of a rock and behind him at the skirts of the wood stood the two women with each of them a spear. The man could not help discovering great signs of fear when we approached the rock with our boat. He, however, stood firm, nor did he move to take up some things we threw him ashore. At length I landed, went up and embraced him, and presented him with such articles as I had about me, which at once dissipated his fears. Presently after we were joined by the two women, the gentlemen that were with me, and some of the seamen. After this we spent about half an hour in chit-chat, little understood on either side, in which the youngest of the two women bore by far the greatest share. This occasioned one of the seamen to say, that women do not want tongue in any part of the world. We presented them with fish and fowl which we had in our boat, but these they threw into the boat again giving us to understand that such things they wanted not. Night approaching obliged us to take leave of them, when the youngest of the two women, whose volubility of tongue exceeded everything I ever met with, gave us a dance, but the man viewed us with great attention. Some hours after we got on board, the other party returned, having had but indifferent sport. Next morning I made the natives another visit, accompanied by Mr. Forster and Mr. Hodges, carrying with me various articles which I presented them with, and which they received with a great deal of indifference, except hatchets and spike-nails, these they most esteemed. This interview was at the same place as last night, and now we saw the whole family. It consisted of the man, his two wives, as we supposed the young woman before mentioned, a boy about fourteen years old, and three small children, the youngest of which was at the breast. They were all well-looking except one woman, who had a large wen on her upper lip which made her disagreeable, and she seemed on that account to be in a great measure neglected by the man. They conducted us to their habitation, which was but a little way within the skirts of the wood and consisted of two mean huts made of the bark of trees. Their canoe, which was a small double one, just large enough to transport the whole family from place to place, lay in a small creek near the huts. During our stay Mr. Hodges made drawings of most of them. This occasioned them to give him the name of Toto, which word, we suppose, signifies marking or painting, When we took leave the chief presented me with a piece of cloth or garment of their own manufacturing and some other trifles. I at first thought it was meant as a return for the presents I had made him, but he soon undeceived me by expressing a desire for one of our boat cloaks. I took the hint and ordered one to be made for him of red bays as soon as I got aboard, where rainy weather detained me the following day. The ninth being fair weather, we paid the natives another visit, and made known our approach by hallooing to them, but they neither answered us nor met us at the shore as usual. The reason of this we soon saw, for we found them at their habitations all dressed and dressing in their very best, with their hair combed and oiled, tied up on the crowns of their heads and stuck with white feathers. Some wore a fillet of feathers round their heads, and all of them had bunches of white feathers stuck in their ears. Thus dressed and all standing, they had received us with great courtesy. I presented the chief with a cloak I had got made for him, with which he seemed so well pleased that he took his patapatu from his girdle, and gave it me. After a short stay we took leave and having spent the remainder of the day in continuing my survey of the bay, with a night returned on board. Very heavy rains falling on the two following days no work was done, but the twelfth proved clear and serene, and afforded us an opportunity to dry our sails and linen, two things very much wanted, not having had fair weather enough for this purpose since we put into this bay. Mr. Forster and his party also profited by the day in botanizing. About ten o'clock the family of the natives paid us a visit. Seeing that they approached the ship with great caution I met them in a boat, which I quitted when I got to them and went into their canoe. Yet after all I could not prevail on them to put alongside the ship, and at last was obliged to leave them to follow their own inclination. At length they put ashore in a little creek hard by us, and afterwards came and sat down on the shore abreast of the ship, near enough to speak with us. I now caused the backpipes and fife to play and the drum to beat. The two first they did not regard, but the latter caused some little attention in them. Nothing, however, could induce them to come on board. But they entered with great familiarity into conversation, little understood, with such of the officers and seamen as went to them, paying much greater regard to some than to others, and these, we had reason to believe, they took for women. To one man in particular the young woman showed an extraordinary fondness until she discovered his sex, after which she would not suffer him to come near her, whether it was that she before took him for one of her own sex, or that the man, in order to discover himself, had taken some liberties with her which she thus resented, I know not. In the afternoon I took Mr. Hodges to a large cascade, which falls from a high mountain on the south side of the bay, about a league above the place where we lay. He made a drawing of it on paper, and afterwards painted it in oil colours which exhibits, at once, a better description of it than any I can give. Huge heaps of stones lay at the foot of this cascade, which had been broken off and brought by the stream from the adjacent mountains. These stones were of different sorts, none, however, according to Mr. Forster's opinion, whom I believe to be a judge, containing either minerals or metals. Nevertheless, I brought away specimens of every sort, as the whole country that is the rocky part of it, seemed to consist of those stones and no other. This cascade is at the east point of a cove lying in southwest two miles, which I named Cascade Cove in it is good anchorage and other necessaries at the entrance lies an island on each side of which is a passage that on the east side is much the widest. A little above the isle and near the southeast shore are two rocks which are covered at high water. It was in this cove we first saw the natives. When I returned aboard in the evening I found our friends the natives had taken up their quarters at about a hundred yards from our watering-place, a very great mark of the confidence they placed in us. This evening a shooting-party of the officers went over to the north side of the bay, having with them the small cutter to convey them from place to place. Next morning, accompanied by Mr. Forster, I went in the pinnace to survey the isles and rocks which lie in the mouth of the bay. I began first with those which lie on the south-east side of Anchor Island. I found here a very snug cove sheltered from all winds which we called Luncheon Cove, because here we dined on crayfish, on the side of a pleasant brook, shaded by the trees from both wind and sun. After dinner we proceeded, by rowing, out to the outermost isles, where we saw many seals, fourteen of which we killed and brought away with us, and might have got many more, if the surf had permitted us to land with safety on all the rocks. The next morning I went out again to continue the survey accompanied by Mr. Forster. I intended to have landed again on the Seal Isles, but there ran such a high sea that I could not come near them. With some difficulty we rowed out to sea and round the southwest point of Anchor Isle. It happened very fortunately that Chance directed me to take this course, in which we found the sportsman's boat adrift, and laid hold of her, the very moment she would have been dashed against the rocks. I was not long at a loss to guess how she came there, nor was I under any apprehensions for the gentleman that had been in her, and after refreshing ourselves with such as we had to eat and drink, and securing the boat in a small creek, we proceeded to the place where we supposed them to be. This we reached about seven or eight o'clock in the evening and found them upon a small isle in Goose Cove where as it was low water we could not come with our boat until the return of the tide as this did not happen till three o'clock in the morning we landed on a naked beach not knowing where to find a better place and after some time having got a fire and broiled some fish we made a hearty supper having for sauce a good appetite This done we lay down to sleep, having a stony beach for a bed, and the canopy of heaven for a covering. At length the tide permitted us to take off the sportsmen, and with them we embarked and proceeded for the place where we had left their boat, which we soon reached, having a fresh breeze of wind in our favour attended with rain. When we came to the creek which was on the north-west side of Anchor Isle, we found there an immense number of blue petrels, some on the wing, others in the woods in holes in the ground, under the roots of trees and in the crevices of rocks, where there was no getting them, and where we supposed their young were deposited. As not one was to be seen in the day, the old ones were probably at that time out at sea searching for food, which in the evening they bring to the young. The noise they made was like the croaking of many frogs— they were, I believe, of the broad bill kind, which are not so commonly seen at sea as the others. Here, however, they were in great numbers, and flying much about in the night, some of our gentlemen at first took them for bats. After restoring the sportsmen to their boat, we all proceeded for the ship, which we reached by seven o'clock in the morning, not a little fatigued with our expedition. I now learned that our friends the natives returned to their habitation at night probably foreseeing that rain was at hand, which sort of weather continued the whole of this day. On the morning of the fifteenth, the weather having cleared up and become fair, I set out with two boats to continue the survey of the north-west side of the bay, accompanied by the two Mr. Forsters and several of the officers, whom I detached in one boat to Goose Cove, where we intended to lodge the night, while I proceeded in the other— examining the harbours and isles which lay in my way. In the doing of this I picked up about a score of wild fowl and caught fish sufficient to serve the whole party, and, reaching the place of rendezvous a little before dark, I found all the gentlemen out duck-shooting. They however soon returned, not overloaded with game. By this time the cooks had done their parts. In which little art was required, and after a hearty repast, on what the day had produced, we lay down to rest, but took care to rise early the next morning, in order to have the other bout among the ducks before we left the cove. Accordingly at daylight we prepared for the attack. Those who had reconnoitred the place before chose their stations accordingly, whilst myself and another remained in the boat, and rode to the head of the cove to start the game, which we did so effectually that, out of some scores of ducks, we only detained one to ourselves, sending all the rest down to those stationed below. After this I landed at the head of the cove, and walked across the narrow isthmus that disjoins it from the sea, or rather from another cove which runs in from the sea about one mile, and lies open to the north winds. It, however, had all the appearance of a good harbour and safe anchorage. At the head is a fine sandy beach, where I found an immense number of wood-hens, and brought away ten couple of them, which recompensed me for the trouble of crossing the isthmus, through the wet woods up to the middle in water. About nine o'clock we all got collected together, when the success of every one was known— which was by no means answerable to our expectations. The morning, indeed, was very unfavourable for shooting, being rainy the most of the time we were out. After breakfast we set out on our return to the ship, which we reached by seven o'clock in the evening, with about seven dozen of wild fowl and two seals, the most of them shot while I was rowing about, exploring the harbours and coves which we found in my way every place affording something especially to us to whom nothing came amiss it rained all the seventeenth but the eighteenth bringing fair and clear weather in the evening our friends the natives before mentioned paid us another visit and the next morning the chief and his daughter were induced to come on board while the others went out in the canoe fishing before they came on board i showed them our goats and sheep that were on shore which they viewed for a moment with a kind of stupid insensibility. After this I conducted them to the brow, but before the chief set his foot upon it to come into the ship, he took a small green branch in his hand, with which he struck the ship's side several times, repeating a speech or prayer. When this was over he threw the branch into the main chains, and came on board." this manner and custom of making peace as it were is practised by all the nations in the south seas that i have seen end of book 1 chapter 4 part 1 recording by david cole medway massachusetts